Welcome back to Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning Marvel films and TV shows. We've got our usual crew today. We have, um, going clockwise on my screen, Rhiannon, myself, and Adam. Uh, I'm Caleb. Hey, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> good. Good. Going clockwise. They always they didn't even put you at the top left? Uh, no, they haven't. I don't know why Ew. on my screen. That's weird, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I actually have a mini uh, like panic moment every week when I introduce us. I'm like, well, I could just do us alphabetically. That seems pretty fair. But then it always puts Rhiannon last, and I don't want that to seem sexist. <laughs> so then I could put Rhiannon first, but I want Adam to feel like I'm like, I am sure I have thought about it a million times more than you guys ever would. But Aww. leave it That's or not. Fine. Oh, huh? go ahead. Go oh, ahead. no, no. I, don't... I was going to say, believe it or not, I probably won't quit if you introduce me last. Okay. Like, I don't think I don't think I care about that that much. So part of it is uh, my graduating class from, co- class from college. There were like 15 of us, 20 of us that were Bible majors of some kind. And we're all in alphabetical order. And through a terrible coincidence of life. The, the like four or five women in that class all had last names that ended with like st or w and so when we were all in a line it totally looked like oh all the men graduate first in our bible department and then the women it like it was very icky feeling and it was totally just the the, the alphabetical thing but i think about it frequently it must have looked terrible <laughs> i think you can forgive yourself for that yeah, well, it wasn't my fault, but I mean, if I yeah. was in charge, you I would can, have yeah. definitely changed things up, I think. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Marvel stuff. Um, we've got a little bit of news this week. Uh, I'm going to start with what felt like the biggest news. Uh, we're getting reports uh, out of Illuminati that Tanakh Huerta is going to play Namor in the MCU uh furthermore and i think this is even more substantiated they are trying to cast an atuma and a namora as well and it seems like people who know what's going on suggest that their decision is that uh atlantis is going to be like a derivative of like incan and mayan culture and so they're looking largely for like central american and mexican and south american actors and actresses to play the Atlanteans. Um, to me, that last bit's the most interesting part. How do you guys feel about these ideas? Oh, and that these people will all appear in Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. Uh, are you guys excited about this direction for Namor? If we go back and think about that episode, I mean, this was years ago at this point where we talked about what we would like for Namor. I think I said that I wanted latin american namor yeah i remember we talked a bit about like caribbean namor yeah like i was uh, i remember i kind of liked even though he's old i liked like the um, giancarlo esposito Mm -hmm. namor idea but yes we definitely talked about it being sort of americas and Mm -hmm. uh atlantic ocean caribbean kind of so yes we have talked about something like that yeah, so I, I obviously like that idea. Um, I like the idea. I think there was something about it that he's, I mean, he's going to be a villain character. I mean, or, you know, 
if not the villain of this movie, you know, uh, definitely not a friendly from the beginning. Um, I love that idea. I, 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 I like the, I, I mean, as I, I mean, I think I said this at the time, if not, like, it's what I'm thinking now. I, I still love the idea of Namor being like a militant environmentalist, you know, like, like this, this country has been at the bottom of the sea we have been ruining the sea for decades if not centuries now and namor's had enough and why he would go after wakanda no idea maybe wakanda's going after him maybe you know it's more they recognize they discover atlantis or something but um i i like it i like this whole idea it could be interesting if uh, it turns out that in order to process vibranium, you have to like create a ridiculous amount of pollution to like actually process the metal, which I think would probably bother some people because Wakanda is supposed to be sort of utopian. And of course they would care about the environmental stuff, but it would also set up a fascinating like contradiction where Namor's like, you have to stop messing around with vibranium because you're killing the planet. And they're like, uh, if we lose our vibranium, that is going to really change our position in the world as well. Like, I don't know. I think that could be an interesting dynamic. I also like the concept of there is no utopia, you know, like, okay, like Wakanda is amazing. And, you know, obviously when we first go in there, we're like, everything here is perfect, but no society is perfect. Once you get below the surface, you know, nothing is black and white. Nothing is fabulous um you know at all levels so like yeah there has to be a downside to all of the stuff that they do in wakanda and maybe that's it and and maybe they don't realize that it's causing this damage and there's a learning opportunity involved but i I, i'm excited to see what they do with it yeah adam do you have thoughts no you guys said you guys said everything man it sounds good i mean namor makes sense namor is probably the biggest We've had this discussion too. I think Namor is probably the biggest comic character that's never appeared in live action. Um, so it's a matter of time um, when he does. So yeah, I, I fully believe the report. Um, first off, and um, as for like the main culture aspect of it, it, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that at all. Naturally, of course, um, it'll be interesting. You know, I. I Aquaman 2 just revealed its name and, and this is Aquaman 2's coming out right around Black Panther 2 I think um it'll just be interesting to how they how they design um Atlantean culture and such you know are we going to do the earthy Thor type route um Thor 1 type route the the Eternals route um the 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 natural colors um with all the other underwater establishments and stuff are they going to do uh nabu or um atlantis and aquaman type with the with the neons and stuff that's just personal preference on, on how it looked I, I loved what aquaman did and they kind of almost went thor ragnaraki but underwater and and i really enjoyed that i have a big problem watching underwater movies because like open water's my biggest fear i'm not sure if I, we've discussed this but I absolutely hate open water. So I do have a little bit of a panic um, once they go underwater, especially if it's like all dark, like how uh, how um, Zack Snyder introduced, um, what's her name, Mara in uh, 
the Snyder Cut, if you will. I forgot totally. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, it's just dark and in the middle of water and stuff. So maybe maybe that's why I liked um, Atlantis and Aquaman so much, because there were lights and, and cities and things like that. I just um, love how that explains why you live in Iowa. Like, if you if you don't like open water, Iowa is the place to be. It's about as well, in the yeah. middle from the oceans no, as possible. I'll, I mean, <laughs> I'll go in, like, the ocean, like, off the beach, but I won't go, like... I have open water. Yeah, no, open water is different. I have no desire to go out there. Like, I don't mind lakes. Like, you know, go boating and go tubing and fall off the tube on. That's all right. (laughs) But so, uh, like, really open water is what scares you. Like, the open sea. Like, you aren't like flying over the ocean in a plane and crashing in a plane and being like the lone survivor in the middle of the sea. Yeah. Is my worst fear. Um, <laughs> okay that's interesting but just, yeah know, yeah just, just i mean being I, I stranded think... in water or you know yeah but yeah that's that's my thanks for therapy guys that's yeah. my yeah. that's probably my worst fear that are heights i don't care about heights oh it's um it's interesting you talk about aquaman i feel like that really is a challenge for them and that like Aquaman has come out first. It has sort of established a way of doing superhero underwater stuff and a version that people like. Mm-hmm. And so like Marvel's a little bit in a corner. If they do something that seems too similar, of course, you know, outcome the, Oh, they yeah, just copy all the DC. It's going to draw comparisons regardless. Cause Aquaman yeah. came first and, and Namor comes in, but it makes sense. I mean, they're equals, I guess they're the, Superman and Hyperion or the Superman in the century or the Superman in the blue Marvel or the Superman and the, whoever the hell you want to call it, or the, dare we say Batman and daredevil. Mm-hmm. Or if you're certain people on the internet, Batman and moon Knight. Uh, I see. See, I'm, I'm a Batman and moon Knight guy more myself. Are you? Nah, I'm oh no. My theory about century and moon Knight is that Marvel said, if characters really had the psychology of Superman or Batman, they would be severely mentally ill. And that's how we got Moon Knight and Sentry is just to like prove like, no, these characters are really yeah. not, don't make any sense. I, I see that. Um, but then you have Squadron Supreme where they are blatant ripoffs of the Justice League. Yeah. So Superman and Hyperion is always a fair comparison. Um, it's always good. There's always going to be the comparisons, man. There's going to be Moon Knight comparisons with Batman because he's probably with the Marvel Studios budget. They're probably going to add in some of that billionaire playboy type characterization, you know. Um, and those are going to come out pretty close to each other, I think. I mean, I haven't considered it, but I think the new Batman movie and Moon Knight will probably be first first quarter of next year, right? Yeah, it's shaping up to be at least. Um. Uh, we'll we'll see um but yeah i don't i don't i don't know i guess um i'm really interested to see what the design is i mean wakanda looks beautiful and how they gave each um tribe its own flair or its own dress or its own color or its own um look you know, I, we know we know what Marvel does, and Marvel makes an equal villain, right? So why wouldn't they replicate that stuff for for Atlantis and Namor and, and things of that nature? Equal, interestingly enough, 
Namor's latest kind of story arc goes right into what you guys talked about with the environment killing and I can't remember if you've been reading Aaron's Avengers, but that's kind of what Namor got into with that and launching a war against the surface world. And Black Panther just so happened to be involved. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, that's the, the easiest route to go, at least. Well, and when you talk about world building, that's the part that's the most exciting to me is we kind of had heard that Namor might be in Black Panther 2. The fact that Coogler is the one who's going to handle building out Atlantis to me is great because I just, I think Kugler did the best job creating an entire world and doing all the stuff you talk about between costume and story uh, and iconography, just like the fact that Wakanda was like a fully fleshed out world. The idea that you hand that same director Atlantis, I think is awesome. Absolutely. And it solves a problem in a way for Marvel in that, you know, as they have made Black Panther and as they have made Shang-Chi and as they do all these different movies that really highlight filmmakers and actors and, and people from various kind of cultures or races, there's been kind of a question of like, when are we going to get some kind of um, Latinx type character? Like, when are we going to give the love to you know, people from the Americas other than, you know, white dudes named Chris. And like, when we've talked about that, like we've thrown around some characters, people talk about white tiger. They talk about Sam, um, uh, Sam Nova, you know, like there's been discussions of those kinds of characters, but I think Marvel is going to jumpstart their sort of central and South American representation by doing this spin on namor and it's going to give them an outlet for some of those things that people have been kind of clamoring for you know like when are we going to get the same kind of attention on some of these geographical areas that we have on africa in um black panther and then as we're seeing with you know asian culture in shang chi and i think it is kind of cool that marvel created the option like i think they looked at their properties and didn't see a great opportunity and so they almost created one by doing this with atlantis i mean and i was just thinking i mean they are kind of covering around the globe you know so we've got africa and we're going to have asian representation with shang chi um winter soul i mean not winter um black widow russia uh miss marvel's gonna do the south asian yeah we're gonna get yeah the southeast asia um and then we'll have some south american representation so they really are like covering the globe you know with this with this direction I, can we just give thor australia uh, yeah i was about to say with australia <laughs> it's just chris hemsworth his biceps are large <laughs> just, enough to represent the entire continent. Chris Hemsworth is giving us the Australian well, representation. And, I don't feel like Australia is underrepresented in life, but well, for that matter, though, the fact that Thor is also directed by, you know, a, a Maori uh, director Pacific from New Islander, Zealand. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. all leads to Alpha Flight, guys, and then the globe <laughs> will be covered. Where's our Canadian a? coverage? Correct? Yeah, where's the? There we go. But then, I mean, they had to get rid of the flag smashers before they could do this global coverage. Yeah, true. Uh, another bit of casting this week just came out yesterday, I think. Um, two days ago. Two days ago. I'm sorry. 
uh, Jamil Jamila, uh, correct? I always forget which name's first. Jamila Jamil. Jamila Jamil. I knew I was going to screw that up. Jamila Jamil has uh, been cast as Titania in She-Hulk. Um, this is, I think, really fun. Uh, most people I know that know her have kind of really enjoyed what she did, particularly in The Good Place. And now we have sort of a potential villain with She-Hulk. I'm really struggling how much She-Hulk is going to have an overarching story and how much of it's going to be kind of like case of the week, you know, like, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what's going on there. But um, obviously the actress, you know, physically looks quite a bit different than Titania does in the comics. Uh, That's nothing new. I mean, that's something Marvel's doing a lot. And I think a lot of people are very excited about that. Um I don't know. You guys have thoughts on this casting? One can confirm the report. She is Titania. I mean, Variety confirmed it as well. Not right. that. Not that you're not Variety. Variety. See, that's <laughs> see. This is what's so interesting about things is that you know you just sit on stuff until someone runs it, and then everyone else can run the things confirming the thing everyone's been sitting on since you know February. Um. I do not think people understand just how wide-reaching She-Hulk's going to be. She-Hulk is going to be probably the most, is encompassing the right word? The most far-reaching series that we've seen to date. It's not, it's going to be a courtroom drama, but it's going to be a courtroom drama that draws from characters from other dimensions and all corners of space and all... Like, it's not Law and Order SVU, or not yeah. Law and Order. It's, it's not going, Night Court. Yes, it's it's that with aliens <laughs> and other sorts of interdimensional beings, and it's going to be absolutely insane. So, in other words, for somebody who, like, like you, Adam, who's really into, like, cosmic Marvel, this show is going to be more in, in the wheelhouse of such people. Uh, well, I'm expect. not saying, I'm just saying it's not going to be people arguing in court it's going to be hilarious probably with the situations they get into um and it's it's i see if anything like i see mephisto dressed up in a suit sitting on the stand just that type of stuff you know or some Don't alien people started on mephisto. No, I, i'm just i'm Adam's trying to think of the mephisto most i'm trying him. to think of the, the the most reasonable or you know what i'm saying like taser yeah. face taser face sitting on the stand as a witness in a suit it just silly stuff like that yeah. uh, i didn't mean to call she hulk like a, a cosmic type property i think the direct reported last night even that scar's gonna be in it um the hulk hulk the incredible hulk son from planet hulk um so so we'll see well it's it's gonna be crazy i think and there's certainly going to be um all sorts of elaine bennis appearance moments um yeah i feel like it's gonna be cameo rich is what i'm getting the sense of very yeah well, I mean, and I mean, Feige did say back at the investors call, you never know who's going to drop in type thing. You know, he, he sort of pitched this as it's going to be a cameo rich show. Um, this also was broken by Illuminati. So if people are uncertain about that Namor story, 
this was broken by Illuminarity and confirmed by Variety like within an hour or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, comic book ran it between the two. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I just knew we we confirmed. It. I didn't even yeah. know if we ran it or what. But. Um, it was, I just it thought was, it was very interesting that Variety put it out as though they were just reporting it as news. They didn't reference Illuminati. They didn't. You know, it became a Variety story within hours. Of course it did. I'm sure Deadline reported it the same exact way. Oh, I I, I researched this, Adam. So mm-hmm. this was very frustrating. You're right, Ryan. Variety's approach was it was like it was the parentless story it's like oh we can confirm that the story that she is in the show is correct no reference to where the story came from or why anyone's talking about it just we can confirm it's right deadline then reported that variety has confirmed this is happening Mm -hmm. with no reference thr of all people they gave credit and they also gave credit to uh as a giant freaking robot or big freaking robot yeah which is oof, which is i know yeah. but so they they reported the story before even illuminati did back in and May, so yeah a while back so adam it's interesting you say this so people want to hear from reputable sources stories I feel like more and more we're not going to get breaking news from reputable sources. We are going to get breaking news from tiny websites like Giant Freaking Robot, and then Variety will confirm them, right? Like, because as you said, it seems like a few people may have known that this casting happened, mm-hmm. and that anyone who was official and knew it was asked not to talk about it, and it finally took a smaller site to take the gumption to share the thing that everyone else wasn't sharing correct um to humble the illuminati a little bit they're they're mostly accurate two days ago they just ran elijah wood is the villain in toxic avenger and turns out it's actually kevin bacon um so you know just take everything with the with a little bit of salt you know um what yeah man i don't people know stuff and people just can't run it because of certain things and the these little sites can because you know they the alarming nerdy doesn't have any access you know so what do they have to risk or or lose you look at look at our bud uh you know charles murphy and even they've kind of pulled back on stuff too because they get to sit down with kate heron and michael waldron man that's why what we should do uh Let's you want to just drop a scoop and no. become big time? That's what right I was going to say. Let's yeah. just drop Let's just something or threaten to drop something. And then we'll just email something. So one of you two can get interviews with, with showrunners and directors from here on out. But yeah. It's, it's one, it's terrifying that every major, with the exception of the rap, if you want to call the rap a trade, um, deadline THR and variety are all owned by the same people. This isn't the first, you know, this isn't the only thing people know that that they're sitting on and, and waiting to run or waiting for the okay and stuff. And yeah, I, I guess my big last and... my big thing with it is more and more I hear people who I guess have gotten like burned by things that didn't come true or didn't happen the way they thought it would. They're like, I'm not going to believe anything unless it comes from Marvel directly or I don't, I'm not going to believe it unless a trade says it. Increasingly from what I'm observing trades are going to tell you nothing mm-hmm. they're they know stuff that they are not going to reveal 
because like you said at this point if you're close enough to know things you're also close enough to have press access that's going to get revoked if you share things that you know and so if you like scoops if you like to know things ahead of time they're only going to come from the little guys like the big guys are not going to be sharing anything except for what they're asked to share by marvel so and the unfortunate thing there is the scoops might not, I mean, they won't always be accurate too. By the time they get to the little guys, you know, maybe they're no longer in talks or they're yeah. no longer doing something or something like that, you know? But. Yeah. All right. Uh, Adam, you mentioned uh, there is rumors that Scar is going to show up in She-Hulk, mm-hmm. uh, Hulk's son. I have seen this very unusual thing on Twitter where people are like, well, we never saw that Hulk was in a relationship on Sakaar, so that'll come out of the blue. I'll be like, Uh-oh. oh, oh, people you- realize you don't have to be married to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Did they or- not see Hulk's bed? My my favorite thing was uh, Charles Murphy was like, I didn't see Cap's parents bang. It doesn't mean he doesn't exist. <laughs> she Hulk first MCU sex scene, just so gratuitous alien sex. it is bizarre i mean we talked about this a little bit just extending the she-hulk like if it really is titania and scar and abomination like that is a pretty wide-ranging cgi heavy bunch of characters to show up in a show that's been sort of pitched as like ally mcbeal too you know like it's just uh, it's fascinating. I feel like I more and more I learn about this show, the less and less I understand what it is. So, and that's the thing. Man. If we're talking villain of the week or something, you know, and you're talking abomination, how how often is he actually going to be abomination? You know, if he's on trial for something or he breaks out, he's not going to be abomination for all 30 minutes even then it's 30 minutes and how much of the 30 minutes how many shots are actually going to require cosmic custody battle just sounds like what marvel should have in their procedural oh right man. how is banner not going to you know <laughs> pay child support or something that's what the trial right i mean oh what i mean they come after him like making him pay child support for like bruce banner he's like that was the other guy it was the hulk it wasn't me (laughs) yeah i mean or or maybe banner discovers that this child exists and wants help getting you know i I don't you know i mean he's fighting for paternity rights or something you know like weekend visits with scar I think this is how they turn attorney, you know, an attorney show interesting for Marvel is exploring all of these crazy, like, yes, like, I think some of us would love to just see the legal implications of the blip, but your average everyday person wants to see an intergalactic paternity battle, you know, like, with the Hulk and some alien on Sakaar or, you know, who knows? Yeah. And it also will give us a chance to see this amazing bed. I mean, they built the amazing bed for Hulk, for Thor Ragnarok. Like, it was, one of my first thoughts was, oh, that bed will finally have another purpose in the world. Like, it was a pretty amazing prop. Sure does. All right, let me uh, throw in a couple of um, other things that came out this week. 
Uh, Black Widow tickets finally went on sale. That's cool. Um, we have a Spider Woman in Spider Man um, Multiverse, uh, the Spider Verse sequel. Uh, Spider Woman is going to be voiced by is it Issa Rae? Is that her name? I am desperately scanning for it and I cannot find it. I believe so. She was in um, she was in a movie with Kamel Nanjiani during uh, lockdown on Netflix. Anyway, um, so she is going to be our new Spider Woman. And then also we're hearing that Echo is going to be filming a lot faster than we thought and is actually in front of movie uh, shows like Ironheart in the um, in the production pipeline. So is any of that interesting to any of you? Uh, speaking of like Atlantis and sun, the world building and all this stuff, it's crazy to think anyone can get a spinoff, man. I mean... Uh, how do you say Alakwa, right? Alakwa, mm-hmm. Cox, um, mm-hmm. must have done such uh, an amazing job that they gave her her own series. You know, why? I mean, Namor, Namor could have his own film franchise. There's the world of Atlantis on Disney Plus or something, you know. So it's uh, it's crazy to think that they can do all this stuff. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's uh, you know, all the directions that they're going and that they can go. Yeah, it makes me think that um, Hawkeye is a little more pregnant with meaning for the future of the MCU. Like, I think when I heard a Hawkeye show was coming in my brain, it was a little bit like Loki as far as like my assumption was, oh well, that's a character people like and it'll get them views. And so they're going to use this character and do kind of a throwaway side story with them. And I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think Hawkeye really is going to launch us into some new and fascinating things. I think Loki has definitely been that case of that. We'll see that in a minute. Like Marvel's not doing anything by mistake. And I think that when they started handing out Marvel uh, Disney Plus shows, it seemed like candy. You know, like, it was Oprah. You get a show and you get a show and you get a show. It felt arbitrary to me and I was completely wrong. It's not arbitrary and they've got some interesting plans of where stuff's going. But didn't they very early on Hawkeye say that it was going to be Kate Bishop? That it was going to be introducing that? or did... uh, I think relative. I mean, certainly when they officially announced it at Comic Con two years ago, there was Kate yeah. Bishop in the in the promo art. Okay, all right. Which to me, like, kept a little bit different. I think Loki. We all, yeah. I don't know Loki. It's just so funny to think back when we thought it might be animated or kid Loki, or you know, we had no idea what they were doing with this. Um, well, and I thought. I mean, this transitions well to the Loki talk. Like, I really thought it was going to be like a dumb time travel show. Like honestly, what I thought it was going to be was what agents of shield season seven was, you know, like where every week they pop up in a new decade and they all put on funny clothes and they make a few jokes about the, the decade they're in. And then they pop over to the next one. Like that's what I thought Loki was going to be. So. That was one of my favorite. I enjoyed that season of shield. Like thinking back on it. I've recommended people skip seasons and go straight to seven. (laughs) <laughs> what people that like don't want to watch all of shield but maybe they loved agent carter 
I've recommended they just jump to watching the final season of Shield. We are rewatching Agent Carter with our kiddo, and I find it boring. Like the oh. second time through, it is slow and tired and traditional and look. It took me years to get to season two of Agent Carter. Remember? Like I yeah. watched that season one and I had no desire to watch season two. And like once I finally watched season two, I loved it. But season one, man, it was rough. Shield is the scrub situation. Anything after season five doesn't exist. <laughs> oh. Like season, what was it? Season nine of Scrubs or what? Well, see, that's middle school, school or whatever. I'm that's like, why I tell people that they can jump to season seven because, like, it doesn't exist. Like all of that other stuff through the year. I mean, like, if you're not going to go and watch those first seasons because you didn't enjoy it, go ahead and jump to getting to see Souza and you know that stuff because you enjoyed Agent Carter. Yeah. Right. All right, talking about TV shows, let's talk about Loki. How'd you guys feel about the first episode of Loki? I don't have a lot of thoughts on Loki. I I thought it was enjoyable. Like, I don't have a lot of thoughts, positive or negative. Like, mm-hmm. Hiddleston is lovely. He did an amazing job. All of the care. I mean, everything about it was lovely. I went to rewatch it after I actually plugged in my TV. Um, I had to plug in my TV to watch Loki. Um, so I watched it the first time on my phone. And I got like halfway through and I was like, I don't really need to see this again. Like, I know some people have said that they thought it was too much exposition. I think we're going to always see a little bit too much exposition because the MCU is so big that you're going to assume people are coming into something for the first time. Um. But I found an enjoy it was so far. The time travel is hand wavy enough that I'm just like, okay, you know, like it doesn't matter. There's these there's these characters off screen. They're deciding the timeline. Everything else doesn't matter. We'll go with it. Um, I loved the use of the Infinity Stones to bring Loki into you know like acceptance of whatever's going on. Um, yeah. It's a very, it's a gorgeous show. Whoever did the production design, um, Killer Joe, I love the, I don't even know, what era is it? Is it like 70s wood paneling type stuff? Is it 80s? It's like 60s. 60s. I think it's a a mixture. I mean, the animation style, I think, was more pretty early. And that's that's, the early 60s. These shows are turning into just like, kevin feige's weirdest dream box where he's like i'm gonna put everything i liked about as a kid in these shows did it with wandavision and did that uh timekeeper explanation was fantastic um and that's the thing we're sitting here worrying about time travel and i don't think they're ever going to explain the actual time the tva does it just because they can you know, they don't need the quantum realm and these fancy suits and all this stuff that we spent two hours watching them build in Avengers Endgame. They they can just do it. Um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. The last scene there in Oklahoma where they're like, oh, it's just some guy with a time machine trying to like stake oil. L- like that just happens every day. Like the TVA right. constantly comes across people who figured out time, tra- you know, like it was not this monumental achievement of Tony Stark 
that only the brilliant, most brilliant man on earth could figure out for the TVA. There's some idiot with a time machine <laughs> all the time, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't have any major, there's, there's all sorts of time travel related stuff we could get into, including a, a bigger one. I think a bigger one that's so nitpicky that we'll probably lose all of our subscribers. Um, I enjoyed it though, man. I enjoyed it. Um, Watch next week because next week is a, a significant leave. If you fell meh this week, Rhiannon, you'll uh, I think you'll yeah. Don't quit the show. You know? Oh, I'm not quitting the show. Well, that's don't what I'm saying. Like it didn't. I don't have strong feelings either way right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm going to keep watching the show because. Um, what's his name? Eugene Cordero, I think, is his name. Pillboy, and he's on Tacoma FD, and he was on that one episode of The Mandalorian peak timing like wait yeah the guy who the, the guy they check in the infinity stones with right right i'm just trying to oh the guy that doesn't know what a fish is yeah yeah the fish yeah. okay the fish i was gonna bring the fish moment up i wasn't sure if it was this week or not yeah. yes the fish moment um yeah. no just hilarious the tva's that's the thing what is the tva where's the tva is the tva in the quantum realm is the tva outside of reality completely is the tva just a skyscraper in new york city and this is just all a ruse you know like are the timekeepers real is mobius real is judge renslayer real to me the fish thing really like that had a huge point of they're not of this world like they're not of earth they're not worldly or cosmically you know like they know really nothing about earth it's kind of like to me like ted danson's character in the good place right like looks like a normal dude but that is some other kind of being inside of there (laughs) yeah makes sense and i mean i don't think it matters like i don't think they're in the cosmos i think they are in another realm I really loved how philosophical the show was. Like I was not anticipating this at all. The whole idea of um, like free will versus determinism and like this idea that, that Loki sort of feels like his decisions don't matter once he finds out that there's timekeepers that are keeping the sacred time. Like this is actually a pretty old idea. Like, for centuries in Christian theology, there's this idea that God is outside of time and that like sees time all happening at once. And it's like, well, if that's the case is free will really exist or is it just like a construct? Like, could I possibly really do something different if the future has already been seen, even though already is not even the right word. Like these are really fascinating philosophical things that people have thrown around and bandied around for a long time and seeing it happen kind of in real time and seeing Loki sort of struggle with what his decisions mean and how his life is determined and feeling inconsequential. And then like this immediate feeling people have, like who are these timekeepers and why do they get the right to like decide what does and doesn't happen 
And how is it right for them to like prune off these timelines just because they don't want it? What is their interest? Who put them in their place? I just found the whole thing to be a fascinating little trip down philosophy world that I thought was not what I saw coming with this show, but I found really uh, stimulating. It reminds me a little bit of why I liked the vision, the vision versus vision fight, right? Like it was talking about some deeper philosophical concept than just, Hey, punch, punch, punch. And so I, I kind of enjoyed that aspect of the show so far. I enjoyed that as well. And um, I don't know. I never get caught up in the things are predetermined. You still have free will. It's predetermined that you're going to make this choice, but that doesn't mean you're not making that choice. Oh, like, see, that always bothered me. See, no, I have no issue with that. Because if you, but if you can't make, if there's no possibility that you'd make the other choice, then it's not really chosen. There is a possibility, but you don't do it. But there's like, but the, but the entity outside of time viewing you knows that you don't, and there's no chance that you could. Yeah, so that makes it a very boring show for them to watch. <laughs> right that doesn't mean that you aren't making that choice oh you know like it doesn't if you were out there if you were out making decisions so somebody videoed an hour of your life and you're just choosing what i'm going to eat for dinner and you know what you're going to eat for dinner and you know what tv show you're going to watch and then somebody else watches that later that doesn't change that you made those decisions in the moment it just means that if they watch that video five times, it ends the same way every time. Yeah, but they're similarly bound by time and they are watching a recording. Whereas the TVA is not watching a recording. The TVA is watching it like concurrent with it happening. Mm-hmm. The problem I have is that the, there's these, I mean, well, and I don't really have a problem, but I think if people are going to have a problem, it should be that there's these timekeepers that have decided I mean, so, and I guess that is where the problem is in this world that they've created. There's these beings that have decided that if you choose to have chicken for dinner, that's the wrong choice. And that version of you should be pruned. Yeah. And the version that chooses fish is the correct choice. And if they, if you choose chicken instead of fish, you're going to create a multidimensional war. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I'm finding that hard to believe, but I'm just rolling with it. I think my favorite moment in the whole thing was in the the cartoon video where they're like, maybe you picked up an infinity stone. Maybe you showed up late to work. And I was like, oh, dude, that guy that just got like tasered out of existence in the corner he just showed up late for work you know yeah that's what's cool. what do you get i mean we were kind of led to believe they had to be major events but it doesn't have to be major events at all it's can be yeah I mean, and i mean that's that's where i'm trying not to think about it too much of like if you simply yeah like are there i mean because i always sort of assumed there were like an infinite amount of multiverses where everybody chose chicken instead of fish fish instead of chicken or beans and it just splits off into all these paths from all the little decisions everybody makes every day 
so do those exist and i mean just come together like they don't split off that far because they have that one little line across the middle maybe that one little line is really a thread with a billion little lines woven together you know because they did like have that point in the in the chapel where it was like this line is you know reaching the point that we can't get it back i don't know one i mean they're pretty villain the timekeepers are villainous anyways because they kill entire universes with one single device right yeah we're talking how many people and beans and pruning you know i mean that's essentially you know they're just destroying that so what's what's can we like do crazy theories or something what's what happens when we get to the red line or what what's the red line well i said you get the multiverse of madness i understood the red line as being so there's been all this talk are timelines the same thing as universes and my understanding is it's just a variant timeline that is acceptable until the point it hits the red line and at that point, it becomes a distinct universe. I like that. Because that's uh, that makes sense. Because going back, uh, it frustrates me so much that they proved your stupid tweet right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wasn't going to totally dunk on this. But when we had this fight, me and Twitter, two months ago, but... my view of timelines creating multiverses is exactly been proven by this show. But it doesn't it doesn't make sense because if this timeline splits off if um if timeline a splits off you know that's not the same as time traveling from the quantum realm the avengers can time travel from there to timeline a or timeline you know what i'm saying well but the cool thing is if you connect timeline one i mean avengers can't go to through so is that i don't see to me it makes perfect sense because when you tie time travel to the multiverse what you do is you allow the same kind of travel that happens in endgame to become multiversal travel because all you have to do is rewind in time to before the branch and then fast forward in time but go down a different branch does that make sense like time travel becomes that's the they're made they're throwing all the reasoning into the one thing to just shrug away it's eventually going to become super lazy storytelling i mean there's going to be plot holes and everyone's just going to be like "Eh, the timekeepers so you're loki taking the tesseract in 2012 is a nexus event which created a loki variant and loki taking the tesseract forced the Avengers to go back further in time, but they specifically said that was meant to be, and that wasn't a Nexus event that created another timeline that the Avengers. So how, how did they go back in time and not create a Nexus event when the only reason they went back in time was because Loki took the Tesseract, which was a Nexus event. I mean, I think that there is going I hope that there is going to be better explanation. To me, the biggest problem is Steve going back to Peggy. That to me, it's a huge problem. That is a major one and one that Waldron has specifically said they will be addressing. 
Yeah, and I mean, maybe later in the series, we will see them pruning. Or, or yeah, I mean, we don't know what all... Are we gonna... assuming this is Chris Evans' next appearance that they talked about? I don't know. I, I mean, who knows? But... I and that's where like I don't know to me the hand waving of well those things were allowed to happen or you know those things were meant to happen like fine but now you had to throw in that they wouldn't have happened if he hadn't stolen the tesseract like that was necessary for those branches to happen the way they did um yeah I mean <sighs> what I'm really fascinated about is I would love to find out the TVA is full of crap. In other words, to say like they act like they're pruning all the branches and that's their rhetoric, but that it's way too complex for them. So they're not really pruning all the branches to maintain one timeline. What they're doing is they're just randomly and haphazardly murdering billions and billions of people just because they like being in control and they like being in power And the reality is there's a ton of multiversal branches that they miss and that are out there and that they've skipped. And it's all just a big propaganda ploy. Like I do expect that there is going to be a moment where the TVA is shown to have no clothes. Like these timekeepers are going to be proven to not be everything they crack up to be that they're super powerful, but they're not nearly as godlike as they make themselves out to be. So theory time. We know Judge Renslayer's in the series, okay? Um, and Judge Renslayer, of course, has very, very uh, close ties to King the Conqueror. One, it's insane if King... Th- this is not even close out to the same level as Mephisto. If King doesn't show up or if there isn't a King nod or something, it's insane. This is it's It's apples and oranges with Mephisto. So here's the theory. We're talking red lines and stuff. Um, I think if the sacred timeline only has X amount of energy, right? And each branch that splits off takes a little bit of that energy away. So what I'm suggesting is the timekeepers exist, but they are not in control. It's actually Judge Renslayer and Kang manipulating everything. And they're keeping the one timeline on. So they have all the energy because that energy is either locking the timekeepers away or whoever the, whoever has the correct control of the timeline. Um, so if these branches go past the red line, then they can't get that energy back. And if so many go past the red line, then the timekeepers are unlocked and Kang can no longer control the timeline. I think it's interesting. Some people have suggested one of those cartoon timekeepers looks kind of like Jonathan Majors. Right. So I I like the idea that the timekeepers are Kang and two other people. Maybe Rensler's even one of them. And they have created this whole facade to make sure that the timeline is somehow kept in a way that's advantageous to them. That gives them something they want that keeps them in a certain amount of power. So I I don't know if I would go as specific as you, Adam, but I definitely think that the idea that all of this is Kang stopping people from stopping him, like keeping his his options open is there. I I love the idea, too, that the Loki they're chasing after ultimately will become the hero of the show because 
the TVA is trying to stop Loki, the the lo- the Loki that they're chasing from destroying the TVA's control over things. You know. So you think they're different Lokis? I think it might be the same variant in the future. Yeah, the only thing, and maybe it's, I don't know. I do think that we're going to get a kid Loki. I think we're going to get a lady Loki. I think we're going to get an old man Loki. Adam seems to be biting his lip really strong here, which seems to suggest to me that episode two will tell us something about this. Yeah, there's been a lot out there. I mean, I, Adam can keep biting his lip. I've heard a lot that episode two, yeah, that episode two explores a lot of things previously only explored in fan fiction. Like Hulk's bed. Uh, you know, I have never seen that come up in fan fiction, but maybe I'll spend the afternoon writing some. There you go. <laughs> um, and that's what's interesting about variants. Where's where's the variant come from? So if you prune a timeline, but the variant managed to leave that timeline, the pruning doesn't kill the variant. Right. Yeah. No. So this is something that's a fascinating question to me. Why do they arrest and prosecute the variants, particularly right. because the variants don't really know what they're doing when they do it? Like right. Loki didn't know he was destroying the sacred timeline. He just did something instinctively. So if you're going to nuke that that like branch, why not leave Loki in the branch and just nuke him with the branch? Like, why bother to arrest him and then try him and keep all this crazy bureaucracy? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely with you guys. I think that's all just theater. It's all just theater. Makes- and they even, I mean, like, and if you notice, like, most of the Loki story, like, where he saw, you know, his his interaction with Mobius. Mobius? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, okay um it's too close to morbius and i'm just downing myself every if day. the stands bring that up once morbius is released and so i can't believe sony copied loki yeah I'm gonna <laughs> i i just like the words are just too similar my brain keeps assuming i'm wrong um th- th- even that area like it was called the theater like i i feel like so much of this is just for show like you were saying you know and i do think we're gonna have like a man behind the curtain type thing with the timekeepers it's all theater and i mean and i think like the i think it might be very i think good place is a good comparison i don't know if you guys watched it Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean like as far as you know at some point it's gonna be oh yeah uh nobody actually has won this trial in millions of years you know like yes we put everybody on trial and everybody loses and nobody within the tva thought that was weird um but yeah i don't think it's a mistake all the posters and stuff on the wall and the miss minutes like all of it is an aesthetic choice it makes for a really interesting setting but i think it's supposed to be a story beat too these are propaganda people like the tva like espousing ideas that they want you to just accept without questioning and it's not a mistake that the that that the place is just crawling wall to wall with all of these subliminal messages of do what you're told go with the machine follow the follow the leader like there's there's no doubt in my mind it'll be exposed somehow later on the show that there's a bunch of lying going on in this propaganda 
which makes me it's bizarre i've heard i've seen tweets where people are like oh so the mcu is just all predetermined by these timekeepers the movies don't even matter then why do i even watch this stuff guys that's what you're supposed to feel like the whole first episode wants you to feel antagonized and annoyed by the timekeepers and this self-righteous sacred timeline stuff the fact that you feel that way is not a fault of the mcu it's doing exactly what the writers desired for you to feel how can you not understand this you know that's what i yeah that's what i haven't i don't understand the viewpoint you know that's like the, the whole prequel thing i mean just because it's a prequel doesn't mean it's not a good story you know, of course, we know what happens and where it goes, but I mean, it could still be a really good story about one afternoon somewhere fighting Taskmaster. Yeah, but in your in the feeling of like, well, that cheapens everything. Yes, that's what Loki felt in that. That is brilliant writing that you and the main character felt that at the same moment. You're supposed to. That's the way the thing is designed. You know. Right. I mean, if they hate this, they're probably going to hate most of the MCU's future because Michael Waldron's essentially Kevin Feige 2.0 now. So just buckle it and enjoy, ladies and gents. That's right. Uh, Doctor Strange 2 is coming from the same brains. So so are you guys a robot? I don't think so. <laughs> that was funny. There were so many one-liners and quips. I'm just like, this is funny. There were. I mean, I say I'm pretty mad, but like, I mean, that's. I'm just not passionately in love with it. Um, but yeah, what if I am a robot and don't know it? That's funny. I don't think I'm a robot. It reminds me a little bit of Modoc, actually, mm-hmm. when all the uh, when they have oh, like yeah. the three or four different versions, and they're like trying to figure out which ones are the robot ones to kill. Oh, and so like, you finished. Oh, yeah, I did. And the daughter's just like, no, I'm not a robot. I know it. And they're like, but they would have thought that. spoilers, y'all. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is this the, Does the plot of Modoc matter? I'm... <laughs> I don't know. It's in one of the, uh, one of the time. We haven't even brought up the biggest thing. Speaking of talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. earlier. About Ooh. how Loki... They they maybe decanonizes Agents of Shield. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I here's I the kept problem. waiting for that big reveal. Like, you know, I kept waiting for that big reveal. Go on, Caleb. No, the problem is Agents of Shield people will never believe it. Like, it does not matter what we tell them. It does not matter. Like, a different Darkhold shows up. Well, the Darkhold transforms, guys. <laughs> Oh, look, Mobius says that Coulson died. Yeah, well, he's just telling Loki that because, uh, like, it doesn't matter. They're never going to buy. Like, at some point, I'm trying to tell you, I'm not upset with you, Agents of Stan, uh, Agents of Stan, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. people. But, like, at some point, accepting this will make your life better. You will just feel less anxious if you just accept that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not canon. It It isn't, and you just, we, we can just... We can be done with it, you know? I mean, this show is a little problematic in that if the TVA is properly trimming all the sidelines, then the second Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started, if it's not main continuity, they should have, like, destroyed the show, right? Like, there should have been season one, episode one, there should have been a bomb. 
amazing would Loki be if we get a crisis on? You guys didn't watch Crisis on Infinite Earths, I assume, did you? No. no. There's a moment in Crisis where can I spoil you for a two-year-old yeah. television yeah. event? Yes. There's a moment in Crisis where the cataclysm happens or whatever, and they go from universe to universe, like from at the time DC Universe's Titans. That's how the Titans are involved, and then Brandon Ralph's Superman series. Uh, they just bounce around from universe to universe to universe to universe to show that it's multiverse. How amazing would it be to have a bunch of secret cameos in one episode where the TVA is just pruning the Defenders verse and Cloak and Dagger and Modok and Hellstrom? It'd be amazing. Kind of scorched earth on Marvel television. Yeah. But. But the variant talk, that circles back to the variant talk is, I mean, that's like the way to do Secret Wars, right? That's how you bring the ultimate characters into the Sacred Timeline. That's how you bring Wesley Snipes Blade into the Secret Timeline. That's how you bring Evan Peters Quicksilver into the Sacred Timeline, right? I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm almost, my assumption right now is that Loki destroys the TVA. That by the end of the show, the TVA is going to be in tatters. And that Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness, is strange having to like put out all the fires that are caused because the TVA is no longer like keeping things tidy. Definitely. All right. We'll have plenty of time to do lots of Loki talk. We'll be here with you guys each week. If you're listening, hey, get, tell us what you're thinking. Give us your theories. We'd love to hear more about your stuff. Uh, one little thing from the mailbag before we wrap up uh, at Media Thinkings shared with us. Uh, this question that was put on Twitter, he thought that he'd like to know what we would say. Um, if Thanos were to fight all of the MCU villains teamed up, would Thanos be able to defeat them? Sorry, what was the first part? The, all of them one. So if all the MCU villains teamed up to fight Thanos, so if Thanos had to fight Abomination and Ultron and... and um, uh, Yellow Jacket oh, and Ego yeah. the Living Planet. And... So essentially all the Avengers but bad people. Yeah. Oh. Could Thanos be? I mean, with or without the Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah, I was about to say, because like Ultron's powered by the Tesseract, doesn't he? Uh, Yeah. Or uh, how's that work? Or was he? The Mind Stone. Ultron the Mind has Stone. Mind, Stone Mind Stone powers, yeah. Yeah. And he so... a Celestial yeah see my to me it's a simple math of if the avengers defeated all of those villains and the avengers couldn't defeat thanos then there's no way the villains they defeated could do a task greater than they could do does that make sense true well but they have different powers i mean technically ronan already kind of beat thanos though because thanos wasn't able to get the infinity stone from ronan didn't ronan have the power stone yeah i mean there's a lot of weird talk about plot holes the fact that thanos does not gather more infinity stones like he gives one of them away to loki so that loki will get like if he already had the mind stone why doesn't thanos just like i guess thanos is just lazy like why doesn't thanos just go himself to earth and pluck the tesseract out of like sam jackson's hands particularly because the tesseract it's the space stone he could have like traveled to earth 
beat up Nick Fury and Hawkeye, grab the Tesseract, and then transport himself out. Like, there's no reason that Thanos should not have three or four Infinity Stones by the end of phase one of the MCU. That's what I'm saying. I guess I don't have an answer for the question. <laughs> and that's a separate, that's a whole podcast episode. I think the only question would be ego. Like, Iron Monger is not going to go any further than Iron Man. Abomination's not going to do better than the Hulk. Like, those things I don't get. I think ego's interesting because ego actually has like legit celestial power. And so that could be fascinating. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, if you come down to it, the Avengers didn't beat Thanos because they were stronger, they beat him because they had the combination of wits and strength and, you know, Strange's ability to look at a million timelines and, you know, 14 million timelines and you know it wasn't their strength and powers that beat thanos there was more to it and i don't know how cunning i mean yeah yeah so i don't think so i i'm gonna lean on the i don't think so except for now that we have the tva the tva could have opened up one of their little portals and just kick Thanos through it, and the Infinity Gauntlet would no longer have any power. And so that's the scene I want to see: is Thanos with the collar on in front of, uh, in front of Judge Renslayer, like, because that's the sense we get, right? Infinity Stones have zero power in the TVA, yeah. so yeah. That I mean, the TVA I think is the one villain that we've had so far that could totally take Thanos. That's very true. And I think that's intentional. I think they wanted to say, hey, Thanos, the Infinity Stones, we're, we're going bigger and better. We're moving beyond that. You know, like that scene was all about getting us to move on to the next stage of the MCU. Hmm. If Loki destroys the TVA, would that power disappear? Or could somebody new take that power? I think... If I'm Loki, what I do if I destroy the TVA is I put all those Infinity Stones in a bag and then I start visiting all the various multiverses to try to find where they work and then I auction them off to the highest bidder, right? Like, <laughs> True. If at the end, uh, what even is the uh, Jeff Lemire? Uh, was that in his Thanos? Um. Who where this it's recently it might have been Hickman's Infinity too about the whole idea Infinity Stones only work in their reality. Yeah. And Loki eventually travels to the God Quarry, is it, with the witches and stuff. Yeah. It has this really insane moment. If that makes its way to the show, it's gonna be the best Marvel thing ever. Dude, I think of the, the God I'll Quarry. Be. I thought that was that was so I love that whole wasn't it a I love that. Well, what story was that in? I think it was Thanos, Thanos, the Thanos series, yeah. If they managed to, uh, yeah, if they managed to go there. Infinity Countdown had something with that, too. I just know Mike Diodato was on art. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if they if they go there during this, because uh, Loki wants to fix the Infinity Stones or something, that would be insane. Nothing to do with Thanos, really, but. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We yeah. will be here each week. We will talk about Loki. Um, if you want to support the show, you can at patreon.com slash Marvel News Desk. Um, patrons at a certain level get to watch this live if they would like to. Uh, we also post the video recording a little bit early and unedited. Um, so usually the way that works is this video happens on Saturday morning for certain patrons live. And then I post it Saturday night for everybody else. And then the final podcast that's edited and audio comes out sometime Sunday or Monday. So I'd love for you guys to support us there. Follow us on social media, share uh, your Loki theme with theories, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Yes. I had a Adam. question real quick. I was looking at Fandango. Uh, when is Black Widow on Disney plus? Is it's it at a- 3 a.m.? No. For premiere access. Uh, yeah, I, I would assume are, are it's... They... It's on premiere access, right? Or is it not? It is. No, it's on premiere access. You can pay 30 bucks and watch Black Widow the day it comes out. And I assume it's the same time as everything. It'll be 3 a.m. on uh, Thursday evening. Because I noticed like earlier screen times. July 9th. Yeah, the fast... If you want to see it as fast as humanly possible... Then like five o'clock in the afternoon Thursday in a theater is the fastest way you can see it. Right, that's that's what I was thinking. Normally there's seven o'clocks here. I took a chance and got my ticket at seven o'clock. I could have gotten the five o'clock ticket, but just in case I work late. Yeah, we're gonna be there five o'clock. I'm excited to be back in a movie theater for a Marvel movie. So yeah, I wasted my return on Cruella, but that's a different story for. Uh... <laughs> Oh, I just went and saw some indie flick, like, with no purpose, like, on a Tuesday night. And I'm going to go see In the Heights this week. Um, But I have my ticket to see Black Widow at the Alamo. So we'll see. Are you guys still wearing masks outside? (laughs) No. (laughs) No? Okay. Yes. In New York, you are? Well, I mean, you don't have to wear them outside. I mean, when it's hot, no. I don't know. When I did that outside, I went to this thing at the cemetery where, like, the Philharmonic was playing in a cemetery, and they made you wear your mask the entire time, and it was outside, and it was, like, 80 degrees, and that was no fun. I was not yeah. happy about that. The The big debate for me is picking the kids up, so they do outdoor release of the students, so we're all outside, and you don't have to wear the mask outside, even if you're a child now, according to the mm-hmm. CDC, but the kids have to wear them at school and there is a lot of people sort of congregated. And so I'm still wearing, like I, I carry it to the school. And when I get to school grounds, I put it on. And then once we're off school grounds, I take it back off. But And that's what I do a lot of like walking through the streets with my mask. So I have my summer mask, which is like the one I wear to the gym and everything. It like wicks away moisture and stuff. I keep it in my hand. Cause like I'm popping in the store, pop it on, popping out of the store, take it off. I mean, when winter comes, masks are just going to be a thing in New York because they keep your face warm. And, you know, like, honestly, when I was taking it off between stores, I would forget to put it back on. And, you know, I was just leaving it on because that was more convenient. Yeah. Um, But now that it's hot, I just like hold it in my hand and I pop it on. But Yeah. When we took our sailing trip, I think everybody on the boat was supposed to be was supposedly vaccinated. So we didn't have to wear masks. But when it got real brisk on deck, it was like, oh, let me just put this back on to keep my face warm. Yep. Yeah. No, I was just curious. I, I keep mine in my pocket. It helps actually living in a spot that uh, 
where they believe in science a little bit, you know, now. So it's just, you know, judge it by on a case by case basis. If everyone's in the Aldi spread out getting groceries and they're not wearing masks, you know, it's like, see, I may be controversial. I feel like the science thing cuts both ways. Mm -hmm. When they told us put on your masks and people wouldn't put them on, come on, guys, let's believe in science. But the flip side is when the CDC says you don't have to wear those anymore. And we're still like, oh, I feel more comfortable with it on. You're not believing in science then either. You know, like to me, it's good for the goose. It's good for the gander. If they told us yeah. it was safer to keep it on and then they told us it's safe to keep it off. I'm, I got to listen both ways, I feel like. Well, my thing is it doesn't actually hurt anything to have on a mask. And in the meantime, well, I mean, like one, most stores here have a sign up saying they're required. So like doesn't matter what the CDC says. There's rules yeah. that you have to have it on. Um there was a study of the New York city transit system that like in a subway, you should probably always have a mask, not because of COVID, sure. but because right. of the air quality. Because they're gross because subways are kind <laughs> so, of disgusting in a way. You know, and like, I don't know if anybody's ever stood on a subway platform, but there's no airflow. There's like the two seconds of the train coming in and then it's just stagnant, gross. Um, yeah. So probably always going to wear a mask in the subway, except for when it's a hundred degrees um whether you need them or not i mean whether you need it for covid or not um yeah uh, you know like it doesn't hurt anything to have the mask on is kind of where i am and honestly here so many places have like their own mask rules that i just i just default to them being required and have it with me i have like a spare one in my purse i have you know my summer mask that wicks away i have some thicker ones for winter like yeah Look, cool. if any of our listeners stuck through for all of this and Caleb didn't edit it out and you are having issues <laughs> with masks it's, it's, because they're so uncomfortable, right. talk to me because I have tried every mask on the planet to try to find the most comfortable ones. It's just in, like I think the restaurant aspect of it's insane because here the restaurants still require you to wear a mask, but you go sit down and you can take it off. You know? Yeah, you basically have to wear it from the front door to the table. Yeah. So why, but I'm sitting to someone right here at this table, you know, know. what's, what what's going on? It's just bizarre. And that's where it does feel like, and I'm not this guy. Usually that's where it does feel a little bit like a weird power play. Like, no, if you want to eat our restaurant, you must wear a mask for 13 seconds before you sit down, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> sure. I, I guess I understand the principle. It's just practically who cares if you're going to let them rip it off the second they sit down you know plus well, it's like our first time dealing with it so i i don't fault people for yeah stuff that doesn't make sense but it's just you it's unique you know how how some people think rules you know try to make the rules and all i'm saying is we're all screwed in the zombie apocalypse that's <laughs> yeah um but and i shared a fascinating article when it comes to like the indoor mask wearing and all of that about how i mean i mean it really did sort of say you know the science you know you can't always there was so much in the scientific community regarding aerosols and the way things travel in the air did you guys read the article i shared it on facebook like a few weeks ago so like the medical community has always just been like, these diseases are airborne, these diseases are not because the particles have to be over this size to be airborne or under this size to be airborne. And it was just sort of an accepted thing in the medical community. And the COVID particles 
COVID-19 particles were over that size. So through all of this, they were like, it can't be airborne. It can't be an aerosol. It can't just be in the air because it's over the size. And there was an air quality engineer that actually like studied aerosols, not from a medical perspective, but from an air pollution perspective. And they were like, no, we have stuff 10 times that large that's airborne, you know, in our air, our air, you know, like it's commonly known in the air quality control industry that, that, that the size particles and they started digging down and there was like one study in the forties with, I think tuberculosis or something that that particular disease was that size particle. And they studied that that size could be born as an air, you know, could be an aerosol and somehow through people referencing that. And then through the years they stopped referencing that study and it just became common in the medical community that this size particle was the threshold for airborne. So like in the early days of COVID, like, I mean, in the early months, like it actually only really officially got accepted by the medical community a few months ago. They absolutely like those early days of, you know, wearing masks doesn't really matter. And the six foot distance, the six foot distance makes no difference. Um, all because of these aerosols, which is all to say in the restaurant, like the, the distancing doesn't matter if you're indoors, you probably need a mask because it's more about the air filtration, the air moving and all of that than it is like the distance that six foot distance is assuming these particles fall out of the air. But once they're aerosols, that distance doesn't matter. What matters is that there's good ventilation in the building. So that's my little education rant. I could find the article and share it with y'all again. But. Awesome. And that's been our main discussion on COVID-19. So, that's all my fault. Yeah, it is my fault. <laughs>